We're going to be looking in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And a message I call, When We Stumble Over the Truth. When We Stumble Over the Truth. And you'll see why I called it this as we read it. Verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 73 is a part of a section of the Psalms that's attributed to Asaph. And that's Psalm 73 through 83. Our goal is to consider this morning uh, the issue that this writer raised for us in verses 1 and 2. He begins with something that he says truly. And that is his way of saying this is absolutely true. I know this is true. And what is it? Truly, God is good. Truly, God is good to his people. And in fact, we could also translate this, uh, God is always good to his people. God is good. God is always good to his people. This is an absolute incontrovertible truth. Something that he knows the truth. Something that he holds inviolable and sacred. This is absolutely true. I know it in every way it is possible to know it. That God is good and that he is always good to his people. But as for me, he said, my feet had almost stumbled. I, I had just nearly slipped. Because what he is saying to us and bringing this to our attention is that this was a truth that though he knew it here, he was struggling with it here in his heart. He knew it on a very strong and intellectual and spiritual level. He knew it on every way that it was possible for us to know anything. I know that God is good and I know that God is good to his people. But as for me, right now he said, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. A New Testament passage, and it's interesting to me that this is a, a great passage. But uh, I, I racked my brain this week to try to think of anybody's house that I had ever been in that had this passage up on the wall. I mean, you see all kinds of passages that people have embroidered and posters that they've put up. But I've just never seen Romans 8.28 up on anybody's wall. And you might have it. If you do, please tell me. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. What an incredible promise that is. It's just exactly in the New Testament what the psalmist was saying in the Old Testament. Truly, God is always good to his people. But right now, the psalmist says, I'm kind of struggling with that. I was, he was stumbling over it. His feet were stumbling and he's just slipping about around on it. I, I just couldn't find any traction there. I, I was trying to stand on this promise, but I just couldn't. I know it is true, but I'm stumbling. Now, you might not be in that predicament today, but some of you are. You may not be in that predicament today, but you may be still bearing the wounds of a time when you were. And though you can say it, you know, God's good all the time. And you can even say it with a smile. Sometimes it seems a little hollow to you. 
And though on a level you believe it and believe it to be true and you know it to be true, there are times when we have issues in our life, times when we have difficulties and troubles and burdens and we bombard heaven about these things and nothing changes. We didn't want to doubt that God is good. We were not going to allow ourselves to doubt that God is good. We did not want to question God or question his goodness. We were not going to allow ourselves to question God's goodness or the fact that he's good to us. But we do. The feeling is there just the same. The psalmist doesn't leave us to wonder what had him questioning this whole principle. He goes on in verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. You see, the psalmist had experienced troubles and trials, but then he looked at these boastful, proud people, full of themselves and living in evil and without any semblance of integrity at all, and yet they were living in great prosperity. Even more, they had a good death. You see, in the Old Testament and in all of the Eastern people and even the Middle Eastern peoples, it's not just about living a good life, but it's about having a good death, and they think about that. And so here's a wicked man, an evil man, and he lives in prosperity all his days. And when it comes his time to go, while well, he's just strong and, and seemingly doing well and enjoying life and making money right up until the time he dies. The psalmist was troubled by that. He goes on, verse 6. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. He says that these are people whose eyes are bulging out. If you've ever seen that comic uh, strip character where one of their eyes just come bulging out because they saw something they really liked and they really wanted. He said that's just the way these people are. Uh, they're proud. They're boastful. They're arrogant. Uh, they're violent. They think nothing about taking or seizing whatever it is they want. They see something, they take it. Uh, if you talk to them about, oh, you're oppressing the poor. Well, they wouldn't care about that. Wouldn't move them a bit. Doesn't bother them a bit, the very idea that they're oppressing somebody else because they think they deserve it. I want it. I went after it. I got it. I could get it. Uh, a lot of times it's all about power because they have it. And they know that they can do whatever they want to do and get away with it. That's what the psalmist was looking at. But then they went on in verse 11. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. So that these people were also boasting against God. Where is God? Where is you, God? I'm out here living my life. I'm making money. I'm taking what I want to take. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm living the way that I want to live. I, I, if I'm taking advantage of somebody, so what? I could do it. I did it. If I was wrong, why didn't God stop me? They boast against God. They boast against other people. They don't care about men. They don't care about God. These are ungodly people. And yet they are always at ease and they increase in riches. I said that to get us up to verse 13 because that's the pivotal point in this passage where we really understand what the psalmist was thinking. 
Verse 13, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. This is his stumble. This is what had his feet slipping out from under him. He was consumed by the thought that challenges his belief in God's goodness to his people. And the thought is basically formed in the form of a question, what good does it do to live for God? What good does it do to cleanse my heart? What good does it do that I have clean hands, that I behave myself in integrity before others? What good does it do when all of these wicked people are doing all these evil and wicked things? Here I am living for God. Here I am going to church. Here I am doing all these religious things. And here I am, though, I'm struggling. When I sin, God chastens me. But then there are those evil, wicked people. They do what they want. And God doesn't seem to be bothered by the wickedness. Now, any slippery place is where we lose our footing. I don't know if you've ever tried to climb a steep uh, mountain or a, a steep place and found yourself on a slippy spot. I'll tell you one thing. When you're trying to climb a mountain, the last thing in the world you want to have to do is climb that thing twice. And so when your feet slip out from under you and you go sliding or rolling down the mountain for a little ways till you can grab onto a branch or something else and catch yourself, the worst thing about it is that same mountain is still there and you've still got to go to the same top. And now you've got to go around because you know there's a slippery spot. If you try to go that way, you're going to fall. Maybe you've seen those videos of a deer or some other animal out on a, a frozen lake and their feet just falling out from under them. They try to get them up and they kind of look like Fred Flintstone there for a minute. Just a feet, just to go and not making any progress. Well, that's exactly where the psalmist was. And he's talking about my feet are slipping out from under me and, and my feet, I'm, I'm stumbling. He was saying, I, I know this. I know that God is good. I know that God is good to his people. But I'm just not making any headway with that right now. Now at this point, we can glean out of the actions of this psalmist three things. Three things that he did. Three actions that he took that were incredibly helpful. And I'll remind you today, you might be new enough in your faith that you haven't come to that place where you really question the goodness of God or whether God is good to His people. You may be a person right now where you sit and you are right now questioning like the psalmist. You're wondering if God is really good to His people. On one level you'll say, oh no, I can't even think that. But on another level, there it is. There it is. Three things to do then when we're stumbling over the truth, especially the truth of God's goodness to his people. And the num number one thing that he did was that he admitted this to himself. Look in verse 2. There it is. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Verse 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. 
You know, it's hard for us to admit we've got a problem. Ask anybody in the medical business and they'll tell you that people have a hard time admitting that they're sick. And sometimes they'll be sick a long, long time before they'll admit it and go to the doctor. In the mental health field, they'll tell you people will struggle with depression sometimes for years and they won't go to a doctor and get any help for it because they don't want to admit that they've got a problem. And if that's true in our physical life, and it is true, it is even more true in our faith life where we don't like to admit that we're having a problem. But the psalmist didn't struggle like that. He was very, very honest with himself. With himself. And that's important because we have to be honest with ourselves. When we're struggling with something as fundamental and foundational to our faith as the very goodness of God. Is God good? Is God good to me? Is God good to his people? When we're struggling with something so foundational about the character of God, it is important that we face it squarely and admit it. And the reason why that's so important is because we are really good at keeping up appearances. We can put a smile on our face and act like everything is fine. We, go, we know all the words to say and we know just how to say them. God's good all the time. And we're not feeling a bit of that in here. Not a bit. And though the words are still there and the truth is still here, Somehow our faith in that seems very hollow and very shallow. The consummate passage on this is in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. Because there John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. See, what this ends up being is an act of self-deception because we convince ourselves and we can. You mean we can deceive ourselves? <laughs> oh, of course we can. Uh, we, I, I could give you a thousand examples of it. But of course we can. We're really good at deceiving ourselves. Uh, my best example right now is those size 40 pants you've got at home that's got that elastic waist on the side. <laughs> You're deceiving yourself. You think, well, I wear size 40. No, you don't. You wear size 44 or 46. <laughs> but it just feels good if we don't have that. Uh, if I was going to be in the clothing business, I guarantee you what I'd do, I'd start a store where every size was marked down about three sizes. I'd put them 44s down to 40. Wouldn't that be great? Go in and order 40. Well, man, these are too loose. <laughs> I like this brand. <laughs> are we good at self-deception? Yes. Can we tell ourselves that things that aren't true and believe it? Yes. Yes, we can. We're not only so good at self-deception that we'll convince ourselves that we don't have a problem, we'll even convince ourselves that we're growing and doing better. But John says when we say that we have no sin, now that's an act of self-deception there. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. The psalmist didn't do that. He faced the truth. He admitted it straight up, face to face. As for me, my feet had well nigh slipped. So on the one hand, he knew the truth that God is good and that God is always good to his people. But on the other hand, he was stumbling and slipping all over it and couldn't find any solid ground to stand on there at all. 
So that's his first thing. He admitted it. Second thing he did is he avoided sharing it with others. Verse 15, if I had said this, I will speak thus. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Asaph is a worship leader in Israel. And can you imagine what it must have been like for a worship leader to stand up before a crowd of people and sing all of those glorious songs of Israel while he wasn't feeling any of it in his heart? To stand there and say to them and sing about the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the blessing of God, but, but he was questioning whether he even really believed that or not anymore. And he was struggling with it in every way it's possible then for him to struggle with it. And can you imagine to be in that kind of position where you're struggling and stumbling and doubting the promises of God? Every one of us are a spiritual leader for somebody. You might not be a pastor. But I can assure you, somebody is looking up to you. Somebody is counting on you. Somebody knows you're one of those go-to-church-on-Sunday go kind of Christian people. They know that you are a dedicated Christian person. And, and if you were to get up there all of a sudden and say, you know, I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore. Think this, uh, this is what he's saying. Think about what it would do to them. We've got a whole generation of folks these days who have been raised up to put everything they feel and everything they think, every act of, uh, of, of unsatisfaction, everything that happens that disappoints us or anything that I'm struggling with or anything I don't like it, man, we just put it out there for everybody, for the whole wide world to see. I just want to remind you all of something today. Problems are temporary, but the Internet lasts forever. Be careful what you put out there. We don't have to tell everybody everything that's going on in our life. We don't. But the psalmist was concerned especially about it because he said, if I, if, I, if I do this, if I tell them what's in my heart, what is it going to do? And he tells us, he said, I would have been untrue to the generation of your people. That is, it, it would destroy his testimony. It'd be people who'd never think of him or look at him exactly the same way they had before if I told them what I was thinking, what I was going through. We've seen several high-profile Christian music people recently who have left the industry because they have renounced their faith and turned away from Jesus Christ. A far more concern to me are the plethora of preachers that I know, some of them who were very, very good preachers, very good pastors who pastored large churches and growing churches and they walked away. Some of them I look at and I don't see any evidence of the Lord in their life right now at all. They don't go to, they're not even in church anymore. Not only have they quit pastoring, they don't even go to church. You say, how can such a thing happen? I think in many ways it is a product of exactly what the psalmist is describing here. When you harbor these things for a long time, but you're not able to deal with these things and you can't face the reality of it, then ultimately you just have to say, there's nothing to this. I don't believe in this stuff anymore. And listen, the goodness of God. Do I believe that God is good? Do I believe that God is good to his people? You understand today how foundational that truth is to our Christian life and experience. If I'm doubting that, I'm doubting the whole thing. 
And I've seen a lot of strong people walk away from it because they couldn't deal with slipping and sliding anymore on this truth. So while we're honest with ourselves, folk, we need to be very discreet about what we tell others, but we do need to talk to somebody sometime. You're blessed because there's one person I can tell you, you can talk to about this, and that's your pastor. Any one of us will be glad to sit down with you and listen. You say, I'm struggling. Oh, pastor, I don't want you to know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I understand the struggle. I do. Maybe you've got a good friend that you trust. And I use that expression very carefully because when I say you've got a good friend that you trust, I meant it just that way. If you've got one really good friend that you can trust and that you can open your heart to and tell them what's really going on in your life and know that they're not going to tell it anywhere else, if you've got one good friend like that, you know what you are? Blessed. Blessed. But even without that, you've got a pastor that you can tell and we can pray together then about your doubts and your struggles. So you be very careful. I'm not saying you can't share it at all. I'm just saying be very careful about these problems and these struggles and these doubts and especially be very careful about putting it out there for the whole world to see. Because once it's out there, it can't ever be unseen. And it may forever change the way that people think about you. So be careful. Our problems are temporary. The psalmist admitted those problems, though. He faced them squarely with himself. He avoided sharing his problem with others. I, I can't tell everybody what I'm thinking. I can't tell everybody what's going on in my heart. He was right. Second good action. Third good action. He admitted his problem to himself. He avoided sharing it with others. He addressed his problem to God. Third great thing that he did, I, he took his problem to the Lord. Verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. This was no time for the psalmist to be avoiding going to church and neither is it for you. If you're struggling with some matter of your faith, you know, you may not feel like going to, going to church. But though church may not be somewhere you feel like going, church is the very place that you need to be going. There is no small thing that happens when we come into the sanctuary of God. For the most part, what we do is we meet with the Almighty God. Jesus said, where two or three of you gather together, and he's talking about his church. When you gather together, there I will be in the midst of them. We meet with the Lord. 
And it is incredibly significant then that the psalmist said, I was struggling with all this. I didn't understand all this. I couldn't deal with all this. I had this problem and I didn't know what to do with it. And the more I thought about it, the worse it got and the more hurtful it got. I couldn't tell other people because I didn't want them to know what I was going through. But the burden wouldn't go away and the trouble wouldn't go away. And I felt like a hypocrite when I was saying things I didn't believe or feel anymore. Until, he said, I went to the sanctuary. I was all concerned about the prosperity of the wicked. Until I went to the sanctuary. And while I was in the sanctuary, God showed me something. He got understanding and he got clarity. That's not just about this place. It's about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't here, all we'd be doing was putting on a religious show. You know what I'm talking about? That's all it'd be. What makes this place precious and what makes it powerful is that Jesus Christ is here with us. And he works in in incredible ways through the preaching and through the singing to give us clarity about the things that are a challenge to us whenever we're struggling. One of the great joys I have in life is when people preach my sermons back to me. Now, I'm not talking about those times to say, well, you know, preacher, you told us this now. You better remember. You got to, no, no, I'm not talking about those times. They do happen when God and my kids, my church members, or my wife preaches my sermons back to me in that way. I don't much care for it, but I do take it. What I'm talking about is when people come and say, you know, Brother Rich, when you said, and they start preaching my sermon back to me. And what they preach back to me is not anything even remotely like what come out of my mouth. I used to argue with folks and say, well, I didn't say that, but I quit. I quit. Because I finally figured out that by the time those words came out of my mouth and reached their heart, the Holy Spirit had translated it and taken it to their own heart language directly, exactly to the spot where it needed to be in their life. And what they heard might not have been what I exactly said, but it was exactly what they needed to hear. I was confused. I I didn't understand. I was all upset and it just got worse and worse until I went into the sanctuary. And then I understood. A part of that is a simple reality. Folks, while God has answers, and that's a precious thing, a far greater import to us is that God is the answer. Anybody besides me have a list of questions you want to ask God when you get to heaven? I've got one of those. I'm glad to know that seven other people in this church probably have a few questions you want to ask God. I want to share something with you today, I believe, with all my heart. My list is going to go away, and yours is too, because one look at the face of God, the throne of God, and the face of Jesus Christ, and all my questions are going to be gone. Why? Because God is the answer, ultimately, to all of our questions, no matter what they are. It is the presence of God, then, That gives us understanding. He has answers, but more importantly, he is the answer. But he did give the psalmist understanding about those living in wickedness. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places. This is a wicked. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. 
God will deal with the wicked, and he is dealing with them. The psalmist says, you have set them in slippery places. They didn't just feel like it. It wasn't something that was in their heart. They really are. They really are in slippery places. The psalmist understood that to God, these folks are like a dream when you wake up. Now, that doesn't mean that God sleeps because the Bible says that he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. That means that God not only never sleeps, but God didn't even take a nap. And so God never dreams, but we dream. And so he is using that then as an illustration of how God regards the wicked. And you know how it is. You can have this dream, maybe it's about your spouse, and you wake up and for a minute you're mad at your husband or your wife. And, and you ever done that? Yeah, none of, most of you aren't going to admit it. Sure you have. Uh, we know what it's like to have a dream. It's there, but then it's gone. The psalmist was not saying that the wicked are completely disregarded by God. They are not. But he is telling us that the wicked are not the priority of God. God's people are the priority of God. And what all the wicked people in the world are doing, God's going to deal with that in his time. You want to hear the four most sobering words in the New Testament, perhaps? Apart from, depart from me. That was three big ones. The fourth one, these four, Romans 1. God gave them up. Chilling words. God gave them up. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They were living independently of God. What did God do? God gave them up. Chilling words, but true. God's priority is on his children. And if he blesses us, it is good. If he chastens us, that's good too. If we live, that's good. If we die, that's really, really good. So the psalmist then got revelation in the presence of God about God's dealings with the wicked, but he also got restraint. Look in verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. God sees all these things in my heart. Though I'm around growling before him like a beast and moaning and groaning, God knows what's in my heart. Though I'm struggling, God knows what is in my heart. And the great thing that the psalmist came to know when he was in the Lord's sanctuary was that God was still with him. God had not abandoned him. God was standing behind him, giving him direction, showing him where that he knows to go. So there's three great truths then that he learned about the grace of God and how God was working in his life. Remember the psalmist said, I nearly slipped. I nearly stumbled. But he didn't. I nearly turned away from that concept of my belief that God is good, but I didn't. Why? Because number one, God was holding on to his hand. He knew he was in a slippery spot. That means God just tightened his grip. God's got a tight grip on you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is not going to let you slip out of his hand. He's got a hold on you. He guides our path. He shows us which way to go. And then when our life is over, He's going to take us on to glory. 
You know how I know God is good and that God is good to his people and that God is good to his people all the time? Because he never leaves us or forsakes us. He is always with us. He is constantly holding on to us. He guides us then in the way that we should go. And when our time on this earth is over, he's going to take us home to glory. How else could we say that except God is good all the time? What else does that mean? God is good all the time. So he got that marvelous message then, the one that just he needed while he was in the sanctuary. And God communicated to him. And so today, I I just have a few things to wrap up for us today. Number one, if, if you're struggling... Don't feel like that you're the only one. You're not. Sometimes we doubt on a very fundamental, the very foundations, the very basic principles of our faith. And it doesn't get any more foundational than this. That God is good and that God is good to his people. But there's times. There's times we're going to sit by the bedside of somebody that we love that's dying. And we're going to see that agony go on and on and on and on. It might be a child. It might be a parent. There's going to be times where we beg God to do something. And we beg him and we beg him. And he doesn't. And in the midst of all of that, Though you still say the words, God's good all the time, and though you still believe them, it might echo hollow down in the depths of your soul. Don't feel like you're alone. Psalm 73 is in the Bible just for you. When we're in that time, let's understand that others have gone through that valley before. That's why the psalmist says, when you pass through the valley of Baca, and that's the valley of tears, make it a well. That is, leave a well behind. Somebody else is going to follow that same valley sometime. Make a well in the valley of tears. It's a great message. And so, don't feel like you're alone. When you're questioning or doubting, then you might need to talk to somebody. But be careful. Be careful. We don't have to tell it all over the world. Just be careful. There's a time for giving that testimony. (laughs) Notice when the psalmist was writing this, it's all in the past tense. He had already been to the house of God. God had already spoke to him and given clarity. And he was able to say, you know, I was thinking all these things and I was feeling all these things and I couldn't tell nobody about what I was feeling and if I'd have told everybody, they'd have probably called me a hypocrite and run me off or kicked me out. I couldn't deal with it. I didn't have anybody to go to. I didn't have anywhere to tell. So I went to the sanctuary, went to the house of God and there in the house of God, God gave me clarity. I got that message that I needed. I could see things clearly. Oh, how we need the church today. Oh, how we need the house of God. Maybe today you've been saved. You're sitting at home. Maybe you've made a profession of faith even while we have preached these broadcasts and you've heard it. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in baptism. I I just want you to know that tank up there is full and we're going to use it tonight. 
If you show up tonight, you've been needing to get baptized, hey, this is your time. We've got it right here. Uh, we can't practice social distance while we baptize, but I'll wear a mask, I promise you. It's our best we got. Maybe that's time. It's time for you to make that decision, and you know it. Maybe you need a church home. Maybe it's not just somebody at home. Maybe it's somebody right here. Maybe you need a church home, and you do need a church home. If you don't have one, maybe you've gotten out of church, you need the sanctuary of God. There's incredible things that happen when we gather together as the people of God. And God will give you clarity and understanding and show you His grace and mercy. This is not a time for skipping out on all this. This is a time when we need it more and more and more.